Greetings, Commanders, and welcome to episode 64 of Lave Radio, the show that talks about the universe of Elite and the fantastic community that surrounds it. I'm your host, John Stabler, and joining me in the Orange Sidewinder for this episode are the only person to graduate the Lave Bar Steward School with honours, Grant Wolcott, the only person to not be arrested for running around the entertainment's deck naked, Chris Jarvis. That was a fun evening. And the only person to have witnessed the previous event without throwing up, Colin Ford. Well, I, I, did, I, was, I did throw up my mouth a little. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and also, we have a special guest joining us tonight. He's the only Imperial who isn't backing the righteous Denton Petraeus, His Excellency, Senator Drew Wager. Hello. Good evening, citizens. Uh, if you wish, you can join us live. We're hanging out at Live Station and Game. I think it's in beta we're hanging out, isn't it, guys? Yes. I, I'm not there because I've got issues, but other people will be. <laughs> um, you can also join, uh, uh, to do that, just join the private group Fozza, uh, and someone will add you, and then you can meet up with us in beta. Uh, you can also join the IRC chat channel, Lave-Radio on QuakeNet, which you can get to through the Lave Radio uh, live webpage. Uh, you can tweet us at Lave Radio if you've got any questions, or find us on Facebook, uh, Lave Radio, and leave us something there. Uh, and we'll try and answer them towards the end of the show. So, guys, what have you been up to this week? We'll start with Drew. You must have done something interesting. Yeah, well, I've um, been doing quite a lot of good stuff, actually, recently. I have finished a book, which I hesitate to say isn't an elite book, I'm afraid, which is uh, yeah, a bit of a milestone for me. I've got that sorted out. That's off with, uh, off with publishers. comes out in October. I have been wrestling with a supercharger and skidding my knuckles on the car. And I have been losing a battle of wits with a squirrel. Oh, that's unfortunate. Um, have you, are you going to tell us about your, your new book? Have you moved into the Harry Potter universe? <laughs> After I got to the end of Elite Reclamation, well, actually, going right back to the Kickstarter days, when the Elite Kickstarter came in, I was actually working on something at the time. And with the whole kerfuffle around the Kickstarter, I um, basically kind of shelved that project. Um, and then two years has gone past, and I thought, well, I ought to get back to it. And then um, in, a, in a kind of gap between the elite books coming out and everything else that's been going on for the last few months, uh, I managed to get the other one finished. So um, that is a hard science fiction novel, as opposed to the sort of space opery uh, stuff that elite obviously is. And it's set on a red dwarf system uh, on a tidally locked exoplanet, so quite a weird and wacky world. And I'm aiming for it to be part of a, a series of three or four books at the present. So first one comes out in October, and um, I'm hoping everyone will like it because it's it's the same sort of um, characterization stuff that you got used to with what I did with Elite Reclamation. But it, it's entirely my own universe, which actually <laughs> has been a bit of a relief <laughs> in, in in terms of writing it because it's uh, it's been it's given me a lot more freedom. I haven't had to check things all the way along the line. Oh, cool! So you get to play by your own rules then. Yeah, I get so, to be cool. Uh, yeah. Are you breaking the laws of physics, or are you trying to keep it realistic? No, no. This is. I'm being very, very strict um, with myself. So there is no breaking the laws of physics that I'm aware of. Um, so there's no hyperspace, no visible laser beams, no, um, yeah, no, yeah, uh, frame shift drive or anything like that. This is this is entirely believable, and I've had to extrapolate. Um, and do quite a bit of interesting research, actually, astronomically-wise and physics-wise, to kind of figure out how stuff on this particular planet will work. You've got some interesting challenges, because the planet faces the star, so you've got one side facing the star all the time, and another side in internal darkness, which gives you some interesting geographical and 
kind of um, climate problems. And that affects, obviously, the people that live on the planet. So there's some quite interesting stuff to play with, which I don't think has been done before. Uh, so I'm hoping it's quite unique um, and, and quite compelling. Okay, good stuff. And Colin, what have you been up to? Well, in-game, I finally made it to Kepler-86. That was one of my little achievements that I always wanted to do. Kepler-86 was one of the first, as Drew would probably know, systems which they discovered a exoplanet in the Goldilocks zone. And I just wanted to go out there and see whether or not it actually existed in-game. And uh, I'm thankfully to say I was the first one to reach it, mostly because Kepler is not mentioned anywhere. Well, it's, it's mentioned for some systems, but for this particular one, it was not Kepler. It was KOI-3663, according to Mr. Brooks. So it, it took me two weeks to get out there and two weeks to get back. And so I'm now back in the game just in time for power play. Good stuff. Uh, Mr. Jarvis, what's been keeping you busy? Yeah, I'm still uh, obviously working on the, the audio book for John Harper's uh, And Hear the Wheel. Although I should say, you know, because no one else has been, has been you know, big enough to mention it, but Grant was obviously putting out a call out for uh, people to join in with the Drabbles. So I, you know, put my oar in. What can I say, Drew? Just, you know, you, you, you didn't mention that when uh, when you mentioned uh, what you were doing this week. You didn't say you were oh, being beaten. I did. Beat, I completely you're being, forgot about that. You are being beaten by me. But, so. but I was beaten by you. <laughs> no, your, your drabble was excellent, actually. I, I read it after the, uh, after the show. I thought it was excellent. So well done on that. No, you. no it was good fun. I'd not really taken part in the um, drabble competition before. So it was really fun. And, uh, yeah, just, you know, really enjoyable. And I really enjoyed Grant's show. I thought it was very funny. I do I have to say, though, you know, you do have to cry foul when Grant wins his own trophy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that is, that is a was, vicious, vicious slur. <laughs> it's also entirely 100% true, though, isn't it, Grant? <laughs> <laughs> What's that, Mr. Blatter? What's that thing I was saying? Oh, that, 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 that's cruel. I, I don't have the skills of uh, Mr. Blatter. <laughs> yeah, I, I was about to say that's very unfair to Mr. Blatter. <laughs> yeah totally so uh yeah no and um yeah just working on the audiobooks and uh, also very excited this week an announcement about xcom 2 so yeah, i saw that but i haven't looked at the um anything about it i just heard you guys talking about on skype so yeah is julian tra- actually involved in that or is it like he's just no 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 he's not he's not involved in it at all anymore i think i think um i mean whether he'll do more interview because i think he was a consultant on the previous one, wasn't he? Sort of unofficially. And there's certainly interviews with him and the guy that's the um, the creative director of the project. Um, for the, sorry, on the previous one. Uh, this one, I don't know. We all have really... They've done an announcement trailer. And amazingly, you know, the distance from the announcement trailer to the game coming out is only going to be about six months. So who knows at this stage? Interestingly, though, I mean, for people who remember the original XCOM, there's snake men in the trailer. So if anybody oh. else remembers how hard those are to kill... And just what a bane of your life. Look forward to that coming back. <laughs> well, about three or four laser shots those things took. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, they were tough. They were tough. So, yeah, that's, um, that's exciting. Cool. And, uh, Grant, what have you been up to apart from fixing uh, fiction competitions? <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would say that I, I, I definitely may, may have... May have led the authors in a particular direction, but that was for the, you know, the, the, the sort of entertainment value of the show and nothing else, you know, just, just to... 
It's, it's a show. You've got to make it entertaining. So you've got to you know, make sure you get the best drabbles in there. And the only way you can do that is by, you know, blackmail and bribery. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do, you, you know, do you, obviously, you know, I haven't heard all of the previous hundred. Do you, do you manage to sway it by reading all of the other ones really badly and you read your own perfectly? <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> No, That's sometimes it, it just happens that way. I think it's one of those things. Um, I was surprised actually. The, the the voting was low. It's kind of a really quiet week for that final week, and I just managed to pip it by somebody voted. You know that extra vote for me, and that took me over, which was great. It did happen to be one of my best travels, so that's one thing. But yeah, I expected the likes of Kathy or um, Frank or Darren Gray to tip for the top, and Frank didn't even get through. The qualifying round, so he didn't even get into the final 20-odd. Wow. And, uh, yeah, I was just, yeah, chuffed. Absolutely brilliant. I mean, uh, you know, I couldn't have rigged it any better. <laughs> well, done to you. well, I like your defence there that, um, you know, you don't mind corruption as long as, you know, the entertainment value is there. I'm wondering <laughs> if, if Seth Blatter should have used the same kind of excuse. They're all, uh, they've, been, they've been in touch. I mean, I have been offered his position. Yeah, well, he's now he's going. You know that position's going to be open. So now oh, that it? you've, yeah, he's announced his, he's going to be uh, stepping down. So now that the corruption's been in, um, identified in the drabbles, does that mean you're going to be stepping down soon, Grant? <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose actually that would give me a Friday night off. That could be quite good. <laughs> but no, I've been um, also had a bit of trouble with the machine i think if anyone's been watching the stream it's been constant constant frustrations uh for the last couple of months and uh, last night i was as you do you try a little quick fix try this try that right let's go for it and lost two hard drives and the machine just totally went down and i had to spend until 3 a.m last night firing it back up and i've only just got the last bits of software on in the last hour which meant that my elite beta has just sort of in the last half hour finished downloading and I've just got in, but I'm 200 light years away from live, so I'm not going to get there. Um, I have lost all my video files, uh, all my oh. audio files, which some people might find as a relief. But <laughs> a lot of them are, all, are quite re-obtainable. Uh, the video files, unfortunately, not. So I'm going to have to totally redesign Abracadrabble for this weekend. And oh, what a nightmare. But the, the benefit is this machine, obviously, I think all my files were weighing it down because it's a billion times better. All the problems are gone. I have no lagging whatsoever in applications when you're running an MP3 and you add a new browser, uh, which I was having before. And these kind of things, obviously, on a Friday night when you do your stream and you try and load the game, out of the blue, that was becoming stuttery and it was just bringing everything down. Then capturing one one window in the program would cause it to stutter as well. And it was just becoming, it was becoming so much of a pain in the arse. And now... This weekend, I've got my fingers crossed, it will all go smooth as a button. I've got to make some content for it, but it will all go well. So I'm hopefully the suffering and the pain of losing all my files from the last God knows how many years um, was worth it. But you still have the Susan Boyle's dress, so you can recreate most of your good content. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can oh, completely, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, the files I've lost are nothing. good for us there, Joe. <laughs> Yeah, There's nothing like, I can't remake. That's the thing. I, I can make it, and it'll be. It'll all be good. It's just, it's the sort of the hassle. Unfortunately, um, all of Susie's artwork and work files are intact. Oh, otherwise, that's good news. That's otherwise, I wouldn't be on. I wouldn't be back. 
I would be found somewhere in the Clyde. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, at least it's a happy ending for you. I, I don't know if anyone's noticed, but I haven't been around for a while. Nobody missed me by the looks of it. I was, check- <laughs> I was checking Facebook every so often to see if anyone would say, hey, where's John Stapler gone? Is he still alive? There was, <laughs> there was none of that. Um, but no, I, I've been moving house and I've had no internet and it's just been an absolute pain in the neck to get myself back here. But I am here tonight, so I hope that's not too much of a letdown for some people. We'll, we'll soon see if people start campaigning to have Grant uh, hosting again, whether or oh, not. That's a little unfair, John. <laughs> we did miss you, but we can reload. Yeah, okay. You know, it's, it's nice to know that I am completely expendable. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm not looking for any sympathy. I, I, I just, I was hoping that maybe somebody would notice I was gone. That's all. John, you know, at, at least send somebody around the house to make sure I'm still alive. <laughs> I was gone for six weeks. No one even asked where I was. <laughs> That's because everybody knows where you are. <laughs> in the yeah. studio, listening to actors, yeah. So, I suppose the first thing we should do really is um, start with development news. Does anybody have anything um, big and exciting about... Well, I mean, it was after the PowerPlay beta was released. Um, and, and so, it's kind of... How much did you discuss last week, guys? Because I actually didn't uh, listen to it. <laughs> oh, thank you. No wonder you're not missed. Jeez. <laughs> we just, you know, we just had a very quick talk through the screens that were there. I think it's fair to say that when we discussed PowerPlay last Tuesday, that 20 minutes was not enough to get to grips with it. We had absolutely no idea what was going on. So hopefully, you know, a little bit more informed and prepared this week. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is going to be a PowerPlay episode by the by the looks of it. So. Uh... I suppose we can go straight into it, really. So, who here has been playing PowerPlay? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, we, we're going to be well-informed this week. Okay, that's that's always good. I mean, obviously, it's still in beta. Um, I, I take it they're hoping to release it to the unwashed masses this week sometime, but I don't think they've confirmed the date yet. But the major overhaul um, was of the mission system. So that meant that if anybody had existing missions, they got cancelled, uh, and it will be the same again when it goes live, people on the main server. But so, what are your thoughts on the mission system? Has anyone got any, you know, anything positive to say about it? There are some nice new sort of usability changes that have come with it um, that have made a huge difference. One of my bugbears with with some of the missions was always about like when you were given a job to go and like kill traders or kill pirates. I always found it a little bit hit and miss as to not only finding your targets, but actually also working out which ones you were meant to kill. Now, they've done a couple of things with this that's really nice. One of them is that when you now target someone who is to do with your mission, they, they come up as a, on the little target summary on your display, it will say underneath their, their name, mission target. So you'll know that this person in front of you is who you've been looking for. And the other thing that's quite nice is um, always assuming that you have the ability to do interdiction, you can now spot your targets from supercruise. So you don't have to drop into unidentified signal sources now in order to identify pirates to complete your missions and things like that. So there's just a few usability changes that they've added as well, uh, you know, on top of some of the other stuff, which is, I think, really, you know, really good. Did you mention that you can adjust your energy settings in Supercruise now as well and target subsystems? So it means that when you drop out, you're ready. Yeah, you, you, well, I haven't tried targeting subsystems. You can definitely adjust your energy. I mean, it doesn't make any difference to your Supercruise speed, but no. you can be kind of prepared 
it just allows you to adapt to, especially if you're being interdicted, you can quickly get your, your setup spot on ready and, and target whatever subsystems you want as well, which is good. Yeah. Um, it kind of just adds that sort of dangerous element. Um, I tried a, a mission and the first thing I noticed was the payment for it was 190,000 credits, which I thought was good. And I thought, oh, it's car carrying cargo. It must be a couple of jumps away. It was one. <laughs> but the important factor was I had to carry nine of or fourteen of these items and they were illicit in the system I was currently in and they were illegal in the system that I was going to as well. And that's something that hasn't been in missions before. I've never been given dodgy cargo before to take somewhere. So that was kind of a real nice difference to the current mission. If only it was a case of can you go and drop this off there and then take the rest on to another place, then that would be even better. Yeah. I think, I mean, I don't want to kind of, there's a kind of note I made about this, um, which is almost a kind of bigger topic um, for getting into, but there's something they've changed around the missions, which which got me thinking about how people who've been playing Elite up to this point have actually, they're partly going, going to have missed out on a challenge, but they're also going to have had a slightly easy ride with the missions because one of the things they've changed is a lot of the missions that come up now are restricted by your standing with the faction that is offering the mission and your your elite rating so for example there are missions that i used to pick up uh, to do trade runs in my my you know my cobra the kind of trade runs that were like 18 to 20 ton missions that you'd get paid around 70 80k for i'm finding now that those missions are restricted to people with a trade level higher than me so i can't do those anymore um so i think there's a lot of players who probably up to this point have been taking on missions that they'll suddenly find they can't do anymore but actually also people coming into the game now the missions do feel much more like a progression thing you can see that as you go up through the rankings and as you increase your standing with the local powers you're going to unlock more stuff it's going to be more rewarding um and i think it's true with anything in the game that the more they add there is much more elite now than there was when the game came out six months ago it's an interesting change i've noticed that the sound in particular seems to be quite a lot more i don't know boosted or enhanced or or, or something's happened to it because i've been swapping from the 1.2 to the 1.3, and there's there's definitely some more fidelity there. At least that's what it sounds like to me. So you know that's that's nice because they seem to have got that quite good early on, and then it, it kind of lost a bit of focus, and then it seems to have come back again. The, the sound seem I don't know, the stereo separation seems better, and uh, and the, some of the drive behind the you know the sound effects just seems stronger to me in the 1.3. So I think there's a lot of optimizations and little bits and pieces like that that they've thrown in as well. You know, I should have really noticed, but I've been having lay radio on in the background so much, I haven't listened to the sound. I've noticed it. In fact, I also noticed it in previous iterations as well, that there's been some things that the sound slightly tweaked or slightly improved. I mean, I guess it improved. I thought it sounded better. Some people might disagree. But yeah, no, it was quite noticeable this time, so uh, I'll agree with Drew. Well, one of the things that's been noted on the forums is that the AI has been improved something rotten. In, oh yeah, uh, that's definitely true. <laughs> oh yes. All of a sudden, anacondas who are elite rated aren't the pushover for a couple of beam lasers anymore. Yeah, I, I think that the AI just seems to have a more varied kind of, you know, repertoire now with what they do. Before, it was kind of, you know, it's very easy to stay on their six. 
whereas the higher ranked ones now they've got a couple of tricks up their sleeves. I was in uh Craigie was in I was in the what's the new ship? The uh Diamondback. Scout, the Diamondback, Diamondback. And had it all souped up with decent weapons and stuff and good thrusters. And I took on an eagle and it was a flipping headache. It was a nightmare to keep that wee sodding ship in my sights. And that's kind of new. Normally it's bang, 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 right, he's gone. But this wee sod would not sit still for long enough. I found that the only way to tackle him was to shoot off in a direction and then spin and take him as he tries to follow. And that would seem to be to get them on that sort of jousting vector. And the same thing in Super Cruise. Occasionally, and I don't know if it's a bug, in fact I should really report it, in Super Cruise you're trying to tackle somebody and they come in so close to you that you can't get behind them. And as you turn, they're just basically rubber banding around you and that kind of effect. You know, suddenly they're in front, then behind, then in front, then behind, then their side, and you can't get a bloody lock on them. It drives you mental. And it goes on forever, no matter what you do. Um, and so in that circumstance, you just fly in a straight line, go into Super Cruise, power up as full as you can in a straight line, slam the brakes on, and they'll go shooting right past you and then <laughs> blast them in that way. And something else as well is... Yeah, another one is that they tend to do. Now, these seem to be that they're AI updates, but they're a little bit not quite right. Is if you're also chasing down a target in Super Cruise and they're near a planet, they seem to go in so close to the planet that you it takes forever to get anywhere near them because obviously of the yeah. gravity effects. And that's a frustration with them because it doesn't seem to make sense. For one, where the hell is it going? And for two... It's going to take him half an hour to get out of there anyway. At the end of it all, so he'd be better off just submitting and getting, you know, blown out the sky. It would save him a long walk. Yeah. I had a similar problem, actually, trying to interdict an eagle in Super Cruise, that they were just forming a perfect loop around me, and I couldn't, I couldn't get on them. Thankfully, it turned out this was actually an AI ship that I was tracking down, and I realised that the reason I couldn't get behind him was that he was trying to get behind me, so I just let him interdict me and then killed him. Which is much more efficient, so you know. Yeah, that's definitely that's definitely the best way to do it. I've I've had that situation. I've been trying to get on people's tails with the AI, and yeah, if you're in a slightly less manoeuvrable ship, you just can't do it. Um, so all you do is you simply bug out, um, fly straight up your speed, and then, like you say, wait for them to interdict you, and then take them out again. So it's like Duh. I was obviously trying to interdict you. Why would you interdict me back? It's, yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit. So like the AI is, is getting smarter, but it's still not. It still kind of isn't left flight school yet, has it? Well, basically, he was trying to pirate me, and I was trying to kill pirates. So it worked out. It worked out brilliantly between us. Yeah, well, interdicting other ships is, is still going to give you damage, isn't it? So it's always better to be interdicted if you if uh, if you're doing that kind of thing. That's a good point, actually. That's a very good point because uh, you know you you lose what one to two percent of your so you take one to two percent damage every time you drop out. So you, mm. yeah, that's, that's quite. And you also sense. go into you go that's into a really spin as well, don't you? Yep, you lose complete control for a couple of seconds, and both of you do. And then, oh well, unless of course he's um, submitted to it. But I find that if they've submitted, that you still go into a spin, whereas they don't. Yeah. So it's all. I think it's always better if someone's trying to interdict you, just let them do it. Yeah. Well, it depends. Yeah, what depends what you're in. Why? What are you in that, that that makes you scared of interdiction? No, just like you know, like in the live game, I'm flying my Cobra, and it's not particularly well shielded or armored at the moment. And there's quite a few people that 
you know, in terms of raw power, have have the edge on my ship. To be honest, in beta, I've had the money to get the diamond back and completely pimp it out. So I, you know, I submit to everybody and then kill them. Um, but yeah, in the live game, you know, there've been a few instances where I've been interdicted and I've had to really run to get out of there without being hammered. How come? Oh, sorry, Leaf Station's hostile to me, and I don't know why. Currently, Lave is under the control of Zachary Hudson, so if you're not allied to Federation, the Lave system is your enemy at the moment. Ooh. So, yeah, more, more on that when we get into the, the nuts and bolts of Powerplay. <laughs> well, yeah, we seem to be uh, jumping about all over the place, but I think that's going to be unavoidable, but we'll try and hit, you know, the points as we have them. Oculus Rift got broken when uh, 1.3 came out, so uh, I don't have Oculus. Jarvis, you don't, do you? I've, well, I've currently got Grant's DK2, but I haven't tried... Because I saw that it was broken in this version, I haven't tried it. Okay, fair enough. So I don't think anyone's really le- you know, been left out by it on, on the crew, but a lot of people were a bit disappointed because um, obviously they wanted to check out you know, what the power play maps were like with Oculus. So, um, Just but, stick your face in a jelly and you'll, you'll be <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Thank you for that considered comment, Grant. Um, uh, oh, I wanted to hit on what has become, um, because it, you've got to have a controversy every time Frontier do something. Uh, and this time it was they put a 10% outfitting tax or depreciation, whatever you want to call it, so whenever you sell your gear, whether it be weapons or equipment, you, you pay, you know, you lose 10% on it. So people upset about this because obviously up until now they've been quite happy to swap in and out gear uh, whenever they want to with no, you know, no consequences. What are your thoughts on this, guys? Do you think at 10%, do you think actually having any depreciation is bad or do you think 10% is too much, just right or not enough? I think that the... The sort of more realistic and probably most, I don't know, it would be more acceptable for people, would be a percentage over time, a kind of wear and tear factor rather than 10%. And in that respect, I would say if you've had a particular unit in your ship for six months and you've used, you know, 150 odd hours of it, then you should get about 5% back, never mind 10% off. Stuff that. No, I don't want that. Who wants your second-hand hand-me-downs? No one wants a frameshift drive that stinks of fish. You know? <laughs> and I think, you know, that would probably be more, more, maybe not going up to as, as high as that, but having a range of percentages, depending how long you've got it in, including a 0% depreciation if it's less than an hour old, in which case it allows you to go, oh, crap, that's the wrong one, rather than instantly getting a 10% hit. Yeah, well, yeah, I thought the f- there was a buyback feature which didn't include the 10% depreciation. I think, yeah, but once you leave the station, you don't get to do that, do you? No, no, no. no. It's once you, error, it? Yeah, once you take it off the forecore, it's lost half its value, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, no, but I think, I mean, we did touch on this a little last week, and I think Michael Brooks posted something similar saying that he'd not really appreciated that people were swapping in and out modules in this way because people sort of refit their ship for different missions at the time i didn't see the value of it but actually in flying the diamond back in beta i found i don't have enough slots for both a discovery scanner and a frameshift drive interdictor so i've been swapping those two components in and out depending on if i'm going on a mission where i'm hunting pirates or or uh, 
doing this power play stuff, I need that interdictor. But if I'm just flying around doing my own thing, I want to have the discovery scanner. So I think what it's highlight, I, I think it's absolutely right to have this, 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 this charge because I think it is more realistic that you can't just sell stuff back for face value. But I think it's highlighted that what the game needs is the ability to kind of carry around spares or have like a storage shelf, you know, at the station. Well, it'd actually be really handy, given that these are components that fit on a small part of your ship. You should be able to carry them around with you. You should have like, you should be able to say, I've got 18 tonnes of cargo space. Why can't I spend one tonne of that storing my frameshift drive interdictor? Yeah, you can have a mechanic um, rating then as well. You know, if you're swapping in and out of bits <laughs> while you're in space. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, we talked previously about some of the elite rankings that were previously mentioned in ddf that haven't materialized we could have you could be an elite mechanic that'd be awesome i know a lot of people would love that um, <laughs> I, I, i'm in two minds about it i mean first of all i i look at it and i think well depreciation over time you know the longer you have it that makes kind of sense um i'd have a one percent flat fee on there because obviously you've got to pay for labor you know, you can't you can't not pay the mechanic who's having to take it off just because you want to keep on chopping and changing your mind all the time. Um, but at the same time, you know, I mean, people are repairing these modules, and if they're repairing them and they're always at hundred percent effectiveness, then in what way are they depreciating in quality over time? They don't seem to be. So I don't know. Yeah, you can I think that's a really go. Good point. Yeah, you can go either way with it. Personally, I d- I, d- I don't understand when people are saying, oh, this is going to affect, you know, new players more than, you know, um, people who've been playing it for a long time and have bigger ships because they've got more money. Because obviously when you're a new player, you've got a smaller ship and 10% of not much is very little. So I, I don't know. But we'll see what Frontier have to, have to say about it. I mean, uh, the, the one thing I don't like is people shouting and screaming about something before they've even tried it. Because this 10% might not even be noticeable in the long run. Drew? Yeah, I think the economics of this are interesting because I think the point you've made is that if you can have a ship and it gets completely banged up in battle and you can come back, spend some credits and it's back to 100% with a little, you know, in in the game that happens instantaneously and, um, you know, you you can kind of imagine it in in the real universe if, if it was there that that would obviously take a bit of time to get your ship fixed but you don't want delays like that in the game. So I'm, I'm, I just wonder if the you know, if the economics of the future work in a little bit different way to the way they do here. You've kind of made the car analogy that if you take it off the forecourt, then it depreciates. But that doesn't seem to be the case with spaceships. And I think if you can repair something to 100%, and it literally is 100%, there's, there's no functional difference, then why isn't that of, of the same value as something that's effectively new and just come out of the shipyard? It doesn't make a great deal of sense to me. I think if you try and flog something that is at 60%, then maybe you should only get 60% of it back. You know, or if you pay the money to repair it, then you've paid the money to repair it. So it just, to me, feels rather artificial. That's a good see... point there, because I'm wondering, if, if, if you have a module which has been damaged to, like, 20% in the game before, would you have been able to sell it and then buy it back at 100% without actually incurring any cost? Oh, never tried that. I've never tried that. <laughs> Well, it's too late now. We've got ten percent, so it doesn't make any. Might not make any difference unless that goes away. Unless they just completely relent and go back yeah. to, you know. Then I think I think the other thing on it is that you've got to. Um, if if you're going to put something like that in, um, and you, you haven't got 
you know, and they, they've acknowledged the appreciation that people like to swap their modules out, which I think is good. You know, that's the mission of, of, of not necessarily knowing how people work and, and enjoy their ships in game. But if, if you're now aware of that, then you've either got to keep something like that in, but you've got to provide people with a kind of test mode where you can say, I want to try out the configuration of my ship in this mode and decide whether or not I'd like it. Or you've got like a, you know, 10-minute grace period so you can you can try out the modules in that configuration outside the station and come back in if you don't like it. You know, a lot of other games, I mean, I'm thinking of some of the racing games where you, you stick things on your car and you change it. You can go to a kind of a test track and give it a whirl. And if you don't like it, you can you can go back and change it again. So if, if you're not sure how an A-class module is going to be different from a C-class module on your particular ship, you're effectively paying a cost of research if you've not tried that combination before. And it'd be good to have a facility to, to you know, to, to trial that ship, you know, a simulator or something in the game that makes sense of that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're back to needing an, in, an in-station simulator. We've been talking about this for a long time. <laughs> they should do one that's just rendered as, like, polygons. Yeah, that would be really style, cool. Like in a single monochrome <laughs> view, just to say, this is, this is purely the flight model. Uh, just so you can try it out. It'd be really interesting. Somebody in the IRC chat, uh, Wu Yi, was making the point that some items have a defined lifespan, but not obviously in-game. And I think one of the things that was always mentioned way back was that a module would become less effective over time the longer it was used. And I don't think at that point that that's what they meant by you'd bring it back and get it repaired and it would always work as well as it did day one. It should be, you know, if they're going to go down this route of having this detriment, then they should have, you know, modules that you've maybe had in your ship that have got a life, you know, time, a lifespan. How often can you repair an item before it's, you know, crap? Uh, judging by the state of my PC this week, not very long. Um, but if you have a, a kind of introducing the opportunity for module failures and that kind of concept of a part, wearing over time yes you can get it serviced yes you can get it repaired but after a while that part is going to be less effective and maybe that's something that if you're buying a again it's, it's they've kind of gone a different route since those days when they were talking about it in the ddf like that and i think it's now become that the sort of the subtleties of class and ratings are no longer about how long that part's going to work and are more about performance related uh, so I think that's something that possibly has been dropped, that this particular charge would suit very well. The longer you've used it, the more worn it is, the less you're going to get back for it. And I think that, that works, but at the current system, when a module works exactly the same as it is when it's repaired, there's not really much reason for other than a sort of small handling fee, and 10% is quite a lot. If you think about a power supply in an, um, Anaconda, and you're looking at, what, 50 million? You sell that back and you lose 5 million credits, that's, that's quite sore. Yeah, and that doesn't make any sense if that's the installation cost. It's just an arbitrary number, isn't it? 10%? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a percentage makes you think of depreciation more than, you know, like a labour cost, definitely. I like the idea of a wear and tear, though, because I think that, that does make sense. You know, if, if, what, what would be nice is if you, if you tool around in your ship for a certain length of time, and then you come back and repair it. Then um, yeah, it's a bit like a battery on a laptop. It doesn't doesn't charge up to 100% anymore after a while. And maybe maybe two or three years down the line, you'll, you, the maximum you can get it to is 60% or something like that. Well, they've got that kind of thing in play at the moment, haven't they? You've got to every now and again you go into the repair thing, and you'll find that uh, you've got an upkeep value you've got to pay. 
And I, I must admit, when I did go out to Kepler and came back, there was a notable difference once I'd made uh, all the repairs. It felt like the ship was a little bit more spry again. Mm, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if they've implemented a cut on the actual performance of the ship based on that. Well, I have to wait and see, but it did cost me a lot of money. <laughs> cool. Right. Staying quickly with that first up dev update, um, they're talking about uh, news feeds. Now, that's not something that's... They're currently they're saving that, aren't they, for the, the public release, the actual news feeds in the ship. Am I right? Or have I, or have I just not seen them? It's, it's not available in the current beta. If you yeah. look at that screen, we get as a coming soon, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, so they, they've kind of hidden that from us. They've also all of the, 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 the profile pictures for the different, um, the different faction leaders. Uh, although we've seen a couple of pieces of artwork, we haven't seen them all yet. So that's something, something else for us to look forward to. Uh, yeah. We'll probably talk about them when we come to, to the actual newsletters uh, that mention them. Uh, then moving on, they released uh, an update to the beta, which addressed a problem with the courier's ability to dissipate heat. Um, they fixed this before I actually play it, but apparently if you tried scooping um, some gas from a star with the courier, you were you pretty much overheated immediately. Did anybody uh, fall foul of that? No, but I saw it happen. That was quite amusing. I didn't try it, and it was like a chocolate teapot. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, that wasn't a feature, that was a bug, which uh, has been fixed now, apparently. So, um, I, well, talking of the Courier, I suppose now is as good time as any to talk about it as a new ship. I flew it for a bit. I really liked it as a kind of, as a, as a, a lighter fighter, lighter than the Vulture that I've been used to. Unfortunately, I just found that because I spent so much time flying around places, blowing up pythons and clippers uh, in the Vulture that I found it difficult in the Courier. So unfortunately, I've switched back out to the Vulture, much as I liked the Courier. Other people's thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> Not much. Uh, yeah, well, I flew about on the first day before it uh, t- a chocolate teapot effect was, was sorted. Um, and yeah, I, d- I must admit, when you did fire off the beam lasers, you just saw that heat just go straight through the roof. And I did find it more difficult to take out the bigger ships than with a Vulture. But as far as the looks are concerned, I must admit, I think it is definitely the sleekest looking thing in the game. Reminds me a bit of a white star from Babylon 5, but uh, apart from that, I've got no complaints about it. Drew, do you have anything to say about it? (laughs) 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 I have no problem with the ship whatsoever, other than it does melt, or at least it did melt. I am very disappointed that they called it the Imperial Courier, though. I really am. I think it's yeah, there's nothing wrong with that ship in terms of what it looks like, what it does, how it flies. I had great fun taking on four or five eagles with it and, and, and blatting them across um, and just making an arse of myself, basically, in the beta because I could. So, you know, the, the model, the way it works, how pretty it is, and the design, absolutely fabulous. Absolutely no complaints about it whatsoever. But calling it the Imperial Courier, after the lore and all of the, the sequel games, um, Frontier First Encounters and Frontier Elite 2, that doesn't sit right with me at all. It really doesn't sit right with me at all. I think, I don't know what they were thinking in that regard. The, I mean, the Clipper is clearly the Imperial ship, which, if you follow the line from the previous game, seems to match up in terms of its size and its capabilities. But, but the obvious question to me is, why isn't that the Imperial Courier? Is it, uh, why have they done away with the naming convention simply because, because of what? You know, I, there's an unanswered question for me there, which which I think um, 
it, it, it just seems to do away with the previous games, doesn't seem to pay homage to them appropriately. Um, you know, we've got the Cobra, and the Cobra is a beautiful, fantastic reimagining of the original ship from the original game. And we had the Imperial Courier, which I think arguably is probably the iconic ship from the sequel games, and yet it's been reimagined as effectively what I would call a scout ship. You know, it, it's a small fighter, um, and it, it, it just isn't the Imperial Courier. It's a beautiful, lovely little ship, but it's not the Imperial Courier. I want my spinning nacelles back. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but what, if, I mean, what is it that you object to? I mean, is it the physical look of it, or is it its function as a ship? It's, the wrong, it's, 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 it's too small. It's way too, too small. small. It's the Imperial Courier in the... Th th there is a little bit of physical form there as well. The Imperial Courier in the, in the sequel games was a, was a tough, kind of heavy-duty fighter. Uh, it was one. It was perhaps a bit uber ship in the in those games. Um, it was, but it was tough. It was big. It was predatory as well. It was an aggressive looking. Um, get out of my way! I'm kind of coming through. It was a sort of BMW five series of the of the elite world. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's the way I kind of viewed it. And you know, it had very very stupid design flaws like the off axis thrust and things like that, which clearly you can't have nowadays because you're doing things a bit more sensibly. But it had presence and it had that kind of I don't know aggressiveness and you know I've said it before the predatory stance that came and, and people just remember that ship. I think if you were fans of those two games and and, and to be frank, I, I feel a bit odd here because I'm, I, was, <laughs> I didn't know those two games before the Kickstarter started out. And I've, I've only by interviewing people and talking to people since so I kind of got how important that ship was to the, the people who love those games. And I just don't think that divorcing from that kind of homage to those, those two sequel games does Frontier any favours? They've, they've thrown something away there that they didn't need to throw away. Uh, yeah. With a bit more aggression, the Clipper could have been a really, really nice Imperial Courier, but the Clipper looks too soft. The nose is like a, you know, like a 747. It's all soft and friendly. It's not an aggressive, pointy, attitude -y Imperial ship, and we don't have that. And now that they've called this one the Imperial Courier, to me, it's a lovely little ship, but it's an Imperial Scout. It's not an Imperial Courier. Imperial Courier means something very specific to me in the Elite Universe, and that is not it. Yeah, and it's worth remembering as well that the Imperial Courier in Frontier, Frontier Elite 2, was, was a significant enough ship that, that that was the intro to, you know, when you loaded up Frontier and there was that cinematic opening, yeah. it was a story about the, you know, so it was, I mean, I'd argue that the Imperial Courier is the single most iconic ship for Frontier Elite 2. But in terms of the reimagining, I mean, I kind of get what you're saying. But I mean, there has been, there has already been form with with Elite Dangerous in terms of Frontier reimagining vehicles very differently. I mean, I you know I mentioned to you previously on Facebook uh, about the Adder. Yeah, you know, to I, me, I agree. to me, the Adder is not the Adder. It's it's a perfect, it's a very capable hauler plus, if you like. Yep. But it's not it's not the Adder from from Frontier. So. But I mean, you know, because there's obviously been a large amount of people saying that we should petition Frontier to change the career or, yeah. you know, or, or whatever else. But I mean, that hasn't happened for previous ships and, and Frontier haven't kind of done a U-turn on previous ships. So No, I suppose, I, I suppose, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I mean, are you, are you sort of alongside the people that are calling for it to be changed or are you, are you sort of just commenting in passing that... You no, know, no, I, 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 actually, I actually fired a whole bunch of abuse at them on Twitter. So, um, <laughs> 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 and I was, I, was, I was taking every fan art piece of, um, um, 
of, of imperial clipperness that I could find, and then sticking um, you know, um, you know, little little uh, little bring back the imperial courier hashtag things on it and sending it across the frontier on Facebook, which um, uh, sorry on Twitter, which um, was very childish, but it kept me amused on Friday afternoon. <laughs> but I, I completely agree with the adder, and if I'm being honest, the Ferdilance too. I, what I don't quite understand is why go to all the effort of paying homage to the Cobra and indeed the Sidewinder, which look exactly like they did in the original games, just kind of spruced up and modernised. They're, they're, they're fantastic bits of design, and you know they they look great now, and they they're instantly recognisable as what they were. Now. I've, again, I haven't got a problem with the way that the adder's been virtualized uh, in, in the game in ED or the Fertilance, but why call them those original ships when they actually don't bear any resemblance to those original ships? If you're going to build a new ship, why don't, why don't you just call it something new? It doesn't make sense also for me from a kind of story perspective because we're, we're 50 years after the end of um, Frontier First Encounters in the timeline or 51 years to be precise, all those old ships from that era should still fly, be flying around because we, we see in the law from the, the Cobra and the Sidewinder that they've been around a lot longer than the time in there. So it doesn't seem internally consistent to me that why you would suddenly rename ships for no obviously good reason that other ships are exactly as they were you know, 200, 300 years ago. It, it doesn't feel consistent. So I don't know why they're doing that. I'm wondering how much of it could potentially be driven by some of the criticism, maybe from outside of the community rather than in it, that the elite ships look like blocks of cheese. And I, I guess that you're always going to have you know, that risk if you were trying to copy those older ships faithfully. Um, I mean, the Sidewinder, it seems to work with, and the Cobra... But I, I think that you know that criticism would have got a lot louder if 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 they'd stayed true with the Adder, um, you know, and the Ferdelance. That might be the reasoning, whether it's conscious or subconscious on their behalf. They, they seem to have deviated a, a lot more in the newer ships. Yeah, I think I'm not bothered too much about the Ferdelance because, as you say, it was really just a sort of triangular wedge. But I think if you've got, I think they're almost they're almost. <laughs> a victim of their own success in such a low polygon environment. The, the Imperial Courier was very well realised in terms of how it looked. And I think the same, you know, the same is true for the Adder, because even with only a few polys, you know, they managed to make it look a bit like the sort of old, the, the shuttlecraft from Star Trek. And I think, you know, a few yeah. of us, that's what, that's what we kind of wanted it to look like. I think there's another ship that's that's in Frontier that if it comes back, and there was two, if it comes back and they do the shape of it wrong, people will complain similarly and that's the lion transport and the puma you know the lion transport had a very distinctive curved uh cockpit with kind of flip up wings on the side and the puma had those four great sort of almost vtol thrusters you know on the side and actually it's amazing and we've talked previously about how in the original game the, the models were very simple and you had to kind of use your imagination but actually in frontier they they did a really good job of creating some very distinctive ship looks uh, in a very low poly environment. And I think, you know, it's a shame that in some respects, some of those designs couldn't have been seen through, you know, in a, in a, in a more committed way. I mean, I do like the way the courier looks, but I do agree with Drew. It, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't look like the Imperial courier in the same way that to me, the adder doesn't look like the adder. Well, one of the things I'm missing is is the landing gear animation with the uh, with the nacelles, which would bring oh, yeah. themselves in and then bring <laughs> themselves out again. That that was one of the nicest touches in Frontier, I thought, when it it came to a bit of ship porn. But I must admit, though, uh, 
I'm not bothered. I think it's it's still quite a it's quite a nifty little thing. Um, I do agree that yeah, I think it might have been renamed. I do have to disagree along the lines of the Ferdinand's not looking like the Ferdinand's. I I thought well, I can see where that comes from. But uh, yeah, it's it's hmm. it certainly uh, split the community. This one. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I'm, not, I'm not that bothered. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, just, it just seems a little bit of a shame to not take advantage of the fact that you've got a heritage here. It's a bit like, um, you know, apologies for another car analogy, but if, if, if the next 911 that came out didn't look anything like previous 911s, I think, you know, You'd just be saying, okay, yeah, it's a brilliant car and it, it does everything that the previous one does and much, much better. It's more fuel efficient, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not a 911 anymore. So wh why, would you, why would you throw away the heritage that you've got in a game that has been around since 1984 for, for no obviously good reason? You know, that's one of the things, that I think, to me, that differentiates the whole Elite franchise from loads of the other games that have gone before. It does have a heritage. And I think that's a really, really important part of the game. And if you can, if you can embrace that... Um, then, then, then why wouldn't you? You've got this. You've got this massive, massive resource of history uh, and legacy in the in the game. It, it doesn't feel to me like there's a there's a good reason to throw that away. Particularly when, like you say, the you know the Imperial Courier in the original games did have a lot of distinctive features, like the spinning nail cells and all that kind of good stuff. Um, okay, so we want to talk about um, PowerPlay Beta Four when that came out. Um, that apparently there was some suicide sidewinders which were making people wanted. Did anyone experience that? No. What was what was that? What was that about? Well, apparently it's a bug, and some of the AI sidewinders were, I know, trying, I guess, flying in front of you know weapons and things like that. I guess, or just smashing oh, okay. into people. Not too sure. Apparently, it was not possible to recenter your DK2. That that got fixed. And um, gimbaled weapons were being eager beavers. I don't know whose wording that is. <laughs> but they were wiggling around too much when they didn't have a target, which was obviously off-putting to some people. The Beta 4 update was, it was kind of just you know, more addressing uh, some of the small issues. Diamondback became the Diamondback Scout. They changed the way the bounties works. Now, I tell you what, I must have read about bounties and the changes that's happened to them like five times, and I still don't understand it. So please, someone here, tell me they understand how bounties and, and work. No, nope, I don't. Nobody? I, I, um, I, as well. I did read it, but it was, it was impenetrable. I think, I, think, I think there is a general principle that bigger bounties stay on your account for longer and smaller bounties disappear quite quickly. I think, I think that's the general rule of thumb. We'll have to research this so we can inform people a little, little better. But yeah, I, I, it's, it's just so... I don't know whether they've made it too complicated in a way. Because if I, as somebody who's been playing the game since you know, the very first alpha, finds it a bit difficult to understand you know, what they're trying to achieve with it, then I feel sorry for any new player. I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to make Bounty Hunter more of a profitable career. And they're also trying to stop the situation whereby you end up with like a 200 credit bounty on your head and suddenly you're, you know, wanted by, you know, you're not, you're not that valuable a target to people ultimately. So I think they're trying to just make it a little bit more realistic. It's like the old thing we used to say about, like in Grand Theft Auto, that when you've slightly bumped a police car, it was an automatic lethal response. 
and that this was slightly unnecessary. So there is a scale of bounties in place whereby I think it doesn't say this in this document but I I thought what we were talking about was the fact that when you have a bounty on you there is a limit to how quickly you can pay it off yeah it's a seven day limit you can't pay off seven days but the seven day limit is on the bigger bounties if you end up with a bounty on you that's only 500 credits you can pay it off almost straight away because 500 credits you probably haven't done that much wrong quite sure that's the fine not a bounty pass (laughs) <laughs> okay, see, this is the bit that confused me. Not necessarily the, you know, it'll go away over time, but the the whole, you know, what's the difference between a fine and a bounty now? When do they get wiped out? When can you pay them? It's just not as straightforward as it once was. So, From what I understand it, uh, bounties are when you do something bad, like attacking other ships, and that will stay on your account for seven days until you can finally clear it out. Fines are basically traffic offences which you can pay off quite quickly like a car parking ticket or because um, I've, I've had a couple of fines for firing in a no fire zone and basically uh, loitering around leave station too much but apart from that I've been able to pay them off however if you get a bounty you can't pay that off so basically you've got to avoid that system for about seven days okay that makes a bit more sense and am I right in thinking that if you if you have a bounty um, and you continue to commit crime, then it obviously won't disappear after seven days. You, you, no. You know, you've got to be a good boy for seven days and not commit any more crimes. Well, actually, it, it gets a little bit more confusing after the seven days. If the seven days goes, the bounty becomes uh, effectively uh, hidden or, or um, archived or, or, or something, but it will become active again if you are actively scanned by the police or you commit another crime. And uh, if you commit another crime, then uh, the bounty for that crime is added to your total. And you've got another seven days before it it kind of eases off, if you see what I mean. So it never actually goes away then, in theory, because all it takes is a police scan and it comes back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there is no way to pay it off. Well, no, you can pay it off after seven days. But um, you've you've got to sneak into the station and hope you don't get scanned at that point. That's it's my understanding so far. You can sneak into a station to pay off a bounty <laughs> that <laughs> if you've just been scanned before you go in, they kill you for it. You know, can't you just like send them a message? Like, I'm just docking to pay it off, officer, honestly. Well, you could do that in Frontier, couldn't you? You could uh, remotely pay... Oh, no, it was first encounters. You could remotely pay your fines. Handy, yeah. And I, 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 they need to bring back bribing um, officials as well. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, if, if we're done on that, then we'll just move on to the next update that they brought out. Um, shield cells now available for use in supercruise. Um, we already mentioned at the top of the show that you can now um, use your power management. And as you said, Colin, you can um, target subsystems, which I didn't know. So I will be using that in future. And they balance some heat build-up stats on the courier again. And... Oh, what happened in Beta 6? Who knows? They're not in the show notes. Obviously not much. Well, no. Well, Beta 6 has only been out for a couple of hours. So, uh-huh. uh, right. So, yeah, okay. We've got nothing sure. to say about it. Okay. Well, I had, there was a rumour that they've changed the interface of the um, the menus in the space station. So, I might, I'm might i outside Lave Station. I might just go and dock uh, and I take a look for myself because I can't. I don't have any way of confirming it from out here. Oh, they have well, changed, they have the, they have changed the, uh, the, the design of the menus. Um, because I've been in there and changed to the orange sidewinder, which I'm flying around Lave at the moment. Okay. 
Right. Is it for the better? Do you have an opinion on it, Colin? It, it's more compact. Um, apart from that, you know, the, yeah, I think it is better. You get more information stuffed into it than you had before. I'm wondering how that's going to affect Oculus users, though. You know, the word compact and Oculus <laughs> don't really go hand in hand, do they? Um, you try Google Cardboard. <laughs> Yeah, I've just noticed there's about 10 players who are flying around the outside of the docking hatch to Lave Station, all in a chain. You know where there's like the circle on the front of the Coriolis? They're all, fly- they're all just flying around it in circles. It's very bizarre. Yeah, I've seen that in some uh, YouTube videos, but it's, it's nice that they're putting on a show for you there. <laughs> I thought I was going to hit them. There's a guy doing it in an anaconda. Wow, more than I thought. Well, just looking at the change log, it looks mostly like... So, the other good news for people were Steam keys. Oh, I've got something to say about this. <laughs> so, what happened was Frontier took the decision to release it on Steam. Now, whether you agree with that or not, I don't know. I mean, I was secretly hoping that they didn't need to, that they would, you know, it would be such a massive game that they could just do it with their own website. But obviously, you know, the, the bean counters said that, yeah, maybe we should put it on, on Steam, which they did. Uh, and then all the people that obviously bought it from their website or were backers were complaining that they didn't have a Steam key. Now, it's my understanding now that if you take the Steam key, then any sales, whether it be on Steam or through the Frontier website, because your account is linked to a Steam key... Uh, Valve take 30% of the sale. Is is that correct? That was my understanding. Yeah. But no one's actually come forward from anywhere and confirmed it. Not officially. Hmm. Um, I hope it's not the case, because if it is, that's quite unfortunate that there would have been people who who may have been backers or who bought the game who, who've decided... I, I'm not sure what convenience you get, but basically now you know Frontier are going to be 30% down, and obviously that's 30% of the less money to invest in development and, and things like that. So, you know, somebody please let me know what convenience you've gained by, by actually putting it on Steam. Well, there's the in-game Steam chat. That's, that's always been useful. The ability to add positive reviews or, or review the game in general. Uh, apart from that, you can see whether or not your friends are playing it, but I think if you link your game anyway, you can do that. Apart from that, though, I don't see any more. Well, you know if your friends are playing it, when you log in, I'll take it, if your friends are the main game, it's on the right-hand side. So... Yeah, but if you're actually, if you've loaded up Steam, then all your friends who are in Steam will have come a list of them saying, so-and-so is playing this, so-and-so is playing this. I think you got that just by associating the um, The uh, the app. Yeah. Are the are the screenshots and broadcasting integrated with Steam, or is that all still separate? You know what? I don't know. I haven't gone into it that far because I haven't used my Steam key, and I won't be using my Steam key. No, no it's in, yeah, it's in, it's a valid point. It's certainly this, this stuff about how um, Valve will be getting you know money from from even future purchases of things like ship skins and stuff like that. It's it's put me off. You know, I won't be requesting a, a key or, or whatever. Yeah, I am pleased that Elite is on Steam because I think that the visibility of it is a really good thing. I do just, you know, I do think it's a shame that that, that so many people want to kind of convert it over, perhaps at Frontier's cost. But then, you know, they must have they must have run the numbers. They must be happy with it. Well, I'm just hoping that it's, we're not going to see uh, a price increase in skins to reflect the money that they're now going to lose potentially. Well, let's hope not. 
Well, War Thunder do things differently, though, don't they? I mean, you get a lot more skins and add-ons in War Thunder from their website than you do off the Steam Shop. That could be an avenue. If you buy it through the Steam Shop, it costs you a little bit more. I guess. Or they could do a skin with Steam and a big cross over it saying, (laughs) I don't play this game through Steam. (laughs) (laughs) I think think without knowing the... um, the detailed economics of how well the game is actually selling from their website and how much the potential revenue stream from Steam is and then what the impacts of the multiple platforms that will come up, you know, Xbox and PS4. Um, you know, we're kind of shooting in the dark in terms of the finances. I'm sure it's almost certainly a financial reason, but I don't know how that pans out. Well, no, I agree with Chris that, you know, I've got no problem with them having it on Steam, obviously, and making more sales. That can only be a good thing. I'm just wondering about you know existing players who didn't buy it on steam who are now just getting a steam key and and just maybe i'm just ignorant i don't know what benefits they're really getting over 30 percent off all future purchases which is skins which is going to be no doubt you know future expansions and things like that probably gonna add up to a fair chunk of cash so uh, never mind okay Mm. Everyone's excited by PowerPlay. Uh, newsletter 77 came out, um, and the news was that Mr. Hudson was backed the most. He was the most backed power. So who is anyone here working for Hudson or had a look at him? Uh, well, yeah, but it, if, if I'm thinking of the right person, it hasn't worked out for him. Oh, <laughs> well. Yeah, it's quite interesting, huh? Which obviously, you know, if, you know, when we get into the detail of, of PowerPlay, we'll, we'll get into it. But basically, people have very enthusiastically supported president hudson and it has not gone well that support has not <laughs> has not been a good thing for him well you know what it is don't you it's that all elite fans are hipsters and then when they found out that he was the most popular they didn't want to be seen to be you know doing something so mainstream <laughs> no it's basically i mean we will come into it on more detail but basically the players who've supported president hudson have bankrupted him They've, they've overextended their boundaries, they've tried to take control of systems that are just economically unviable and too far away from their power base. And basically, since Newsletter 77 came out, Hudson has dropped from being the top one in the top ten. He's now dropped into third. And it's basically just because their military is bankrupt, essentially. Which I think, I mean, introduced an interesting point, because it looks like the way to actually work against a power at the moment is to actually join that power and sabotage them. Let's get into this when we talk about power play. Let's, uh, if we're doing newsletter, let's do newsletter. Okay. <laughs> talking about jumping the gun, Drew. Come on. You've got to save the good material. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it discussed drones. Um, now, this is something I haven't used, even though I promised myself that as soon as these drones came out, I'd actually try um, some mining because it would make it a bit more bearable. But, you know, we got drones now for fuel transfer, for you know, um, collecting ore, cargo collectors, and a prospector drone, which I haven't heard anything good about, unfortunately. Has anybody bothered with any of this yet, or have you just been too busy playing power play? No, I mean I know I know Karash had tried out the the prospector drone, and he was unclear on what what value it offered, um, and a lot of people have been saying that for the minimal time saving that it gives you, it just takes up space on your ship and costs you money. Um, doesn't really seem to do very much for you that, that just mining doesn't. That's what I, thought, I thought it, it did give you an advantage if you had one of the really big ships you were mining with because you no longer had to uh, dash around and try and scoop everything up. Well, no, because there's a difference between the collector and the prospector. 
The prospect oh, is, right, a, is, a non, is a non-reusable drone which attaches to an asteroid and tells you what percentage of it is which metals. Oh, right. Okay, and then after, wrong you one. Fired it, after you fired it, it's done, it's gone, yeah. uh, and you can't use it again. So I think people are a bit disappointed with that. I think if it was a reusable drone, people would probably go for it a bit more. But as a disposable item, its, it's, it's value is, is not popular. But it's nothing that, you know, just a quick few blasts of your mining laser will reveal, really. Exactly. I think that's the thing. So uh, so nobody's really tried much of the drones, so we're looking for feedback on that. Uh, also mentioned... Oh, go on. So uh, me and Ed had to play around with the, the fuel transfer drones. Oh, right, OK. He, um, oh, he, sent, he sent me some fuel. It's actually quite fun, because you watch, you can see the cargo hatch open on the, the ship, if the ship's sort of above you, and these funny little spinning balls kind of fly out of it and head in the direction of a uh, um, uh, the, the target ship. It's a bit like, weirdly, it looks like you're playing fetch with a small round dog. <laughs> Okay. So, there you go. <laughs> so, a positive experience with fuel transfer then. Okay. It's quite useful. It's quite a practical thing, and um, yeah, and it's a, it's fun to watch it happen. I think I think these little enhancements are actually quite good, even if they're not ultimately useful. Um, they remind me a little bit of the um, MB4 mining drone collector thing that you used to have on Frontier, um, where you could. I mean, it's not quite the same, obviously, but you can. You, you had this autonomous unit you could leave doing stuff on your behalf, and I think. If they keep, I think, if they keep adding things like these drones in to do specific tasks, I think that just some of them are going to work and some of them aren't going to work, um, and lots of lots of different people are going to like different things about them. So I think it, it it's quite good that kind of stuff. It just you know if you like those sort of things, you can use them. If you don't, you don't. It, it, you've got choice, which I think is a good thing. Well, I think I think your imperial colours are showing there, Drew. Your um, your choice, your love of choice. Um, unfortunately, I think that like one of the number uh, it might be the number one rule of game design, which is a non-viable option should be an option. You know, if if it doesn't have a use, it just needlessly complicates the game. So you may as well remove it. So, so I'm thinking the Prospector drone in its current implementation might fit that description. Um, so maybe maybe they can. I mean, maybe if they made the Prospector drone in a way, once you fired it, improve the quality of what you find. Then it might be worth packing, um, but perhaps we'll have a look at that. Okay, so other things include smarter turrets. I, I think they've got something like a five percent speed increase. I definitely uh, noticed these when I was playing with them. Because, yeah, same um, here. But for the first time, I saw this gunfire emerging from my ship. I'm thinking, is that me? <laughs> it was because it was all suddenly coming out forward of my ship, uh, shooting all these kind of incoming missiles down. I was like, oh, this is really good. Like, this is the first time I've seen them work properly. <laughs> yeah, so I agree with they've, it. They've definitely been improved, and I was, I was, I was kind of like, oh, what's all this kind of green um, tracer fire coming out of my ship? And um, suddenly realised what it was because I put these turrets on, um, and I'd had them on the ship for a while, and uh, they never really seemed to have done much before, and now they're suddenly working. So, yep, that really worked well. Yeah, I had the same thing with my Type Seven. Um, I got a, t a couple of beam laser turrets on that, and uh, for some reason, it's starting to hit sidewinders, which is what I was hoping to, because I always seem to get jumped by sidewinders and eagles when you're in a Type Seven. Yeah, smuggling's been improved as well. I think you get more money now for the stuff you're smuggling. Before it was, you know, it, it really didn't seem worth it. You were taking such a hit on the how much you were getting paid for the gear. It's been balanced a little bit more. Narcotics are worth more. 
which obviously reflects real life. And it's easier to find black markets now, which I think is very important because I got sick and tired of docking at places, you know, running the gauntlet to find out there's no black market there. So um, you can now find, find them on the Galaxy Mac. Better progress tracking. I noticed as well that when you, um, when you have a look at your ratings, you can actually see how far you are off going That's up really another. That's really nice. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Such a simple feature, and yet it kind of takes a lot of the heartache out of if you sit down and you spend all evening working you know, at a resource extraction site killing pirates, and yet you don't get anywhere. You, know, you don't go up a rank. At least by the end of the night, you can see how much more you're going to have to do tomorrow. So I think, yeah. Yeah. I know it's really annoying because my, my combat rank on novice is at 99%. And of course, as soon as we come out of beta, that's going to drop back down to whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Don't get too attached. And obviously, we discussed some of the new missions that came out. Uh, there's new mining missions. So if you're into mining, um, you can now get missions for it, which... Uh, may interest some people, um, but we, nobody mentioned branching missions. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I wanted to kind of mention it earlier when we were talking about the things that were different in the missions. I, I reported a bug with it because you, you know this thing where you take on a mission for someone and then you encounter someone who says you're working for the wrong people. Why don't you go and do this? I had to report a bug because even though that person spoke to me and I actually got on your chat window, I actually got a little message notification saying you, your mission has been updated, but actually the mission hadn't been updated. So I, oh, could, right. I couldn't explore the branching things. So, um, yeah, I think, I, think cause I think a lot of us, because we've been looking at power play so much, haven't necessarily really noticed necessarily all the different mission things that are going on. Well, I mean, with those missions where people approach you and tell you to, you know, obviously go against whatever faction you're working for, mm. I mean, does anybody actually ever do it? Because I don't know about you, but whenever I'm playing missions, what I'm doing is I'm trying to get rep with a particular faction. Yeah, mm. exactly. I found that like really, naval really annoying. Yeah. So, yeah, it's more of an annoyance because I'm not going to double cross an imperial mm. uh, faction for someone else. Yeah. I, I found it is... very confusing, actually, because, I mean, uh, I had that happen a couple of times to me. I was picked up a mission, you start running with it, and then somebody, that, you know, you drop into a, you know, you drop into a, you know, a signal source or something, and the chap there is clearly one of the guys you're supposed to go and get. And then he has a conversation with you, which updates your contract. And then the interface that you've got is kind of abandoned decline. And I sat there for about five minutes thinking, what does abandon stroke decline mean in this context? Does it, does, does it mean I agree with this guy? Or does it mean I disagree with this guy and I agree with the previous chap who sent me out? And I sat there thinking, I don't know what to do now. Yeah. It's also, sometimes it can be an annoying waste of an unidentified signal source. Because <laughs> I, yes. I did a mission, to be fair, I was in, no, I was in live actually. I flew around for about 15 minutes without encountering a single USS. It was very frustrating. But yeah, but the, the thing I will say that's different, though, is that now sometimes the people who send you messages to offer you changes, I, I got messaged on my way out of the station that I'd selected the mission from. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So those, those, those NPCs are, are around. Basically. So it's a little less annoying. You know, there's it's a little bit less annoying, yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, you know, it's... Who's really going to bother with it, apart from someone who's really new to the game, who gets yeah. attacked by the, the more cash or something like that? They, 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 they don't seem to offer you that much more reward, though. Mm. Uh, I mean, I've, the times I've used it is when I haven't actually had time to finish the mission, 
within the timer <laughs> because I've had yeah, to go that, that with was... Eaton or something. And then he says, why don't you abandon the mission and we'll pay you 4,000 credits? I thought, actually, do you know what? At this stage, that's a pretty good option. But the, the, thing that, yeah. <laughs> the, thing, the thing I found really annoying is I was trying, you know, half-heartedly, to be honest, because I haven't got that much time in the game, but trying to get a standing with the Empire so I could actually genuinely get an Imperial ship. But the problem the problem I encountered was that every time I tried to take an Imperial mission, I got some annoying person who'd come along and update my contract. Um, and what I ended up, you know, after about an hour and a half's worth of play, I ended up with negative rep with the Empire because, because I kept bumping into people who would update my contract. So it was really quite irritating. Yeah, and and the thing is, I mean, it's not even you can go and take Federation missions and then intentionally abandon them so you can, like, piss off the feds. Because eventually they'll probably stop giving you missions, won't they? So, uh, yeah, I don't... Okay, maybe someone can do something with that. Um, I think there's a lot of... There's there's quite a lot of capability being built into that, but but it's not... It's definitely not polished yet. Yeah. And there's a lot more to come, I hope, in that kind of mission structure. Yeah. Okay. You've still got you still got a very big sense that you're playing a a scripted set of variables rather than a, a immersive mission. I don't, I'm hesitating to use the word immersive again, but um, yeah, yeah. Please don't. It's a swear <laughs> word on this podcast. Because <laughs> no one seems yeah, to know you, what you, it means. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of thinking. Oh yes, uh, insert variable name here um, for ship. Versus yeah. rewards, and it's it's, it's it's too obvious at the moment that you're, yeah. you're playing mission. It's it's one of those yeah, it's one of those things where you start to see the joins. Do you yeah. know what I mean? You can kind of it's a bit like in the old games when you used to look up and there was a join in the sky, and you realise that the sky was actually a cube above your head. It's a bit like that. You sort of realise that for any given mission, there will be a random NPC from another faction that will offer you an alternative, and it's yeah, yeah. it just it breaks the believability of it. Okay, moving on to one of the, the latest, is it concept art or artwork for um, one of the faction leaders? Um, I'm going to mess, mess up the pronunciation. <laughs> I can't even say that word. I can <laughs> that the irony. Oh, dear, dear. Um, Ashling Duval, is that how it's pronounced? Is it Ashling? Or Aishling? I, I, I had it from someone this week that it was Ashling. Is it Ashling? That's what I was told. There's no H in there. Is it? I don't know. Is, yeah. See, to is, me, it is it one like of these? Have a silent S. Is it, is it one of these? Is it one of these Irish names where you get points for the more letters you have that you don't actually say? Yeah, maybe it's an Irish name. Yeah, good point. Um, yeah. So I, I, so it's still up for debate then what the actual name is, how to pronounce it. Ms. Duval. Ms. Duval. Yeah. Now, the one thing I'll say about this image, um, well, it's not really directly about the image. I, I think previously I was singing the praises of Reddit and how um, it was a bit more sane than the uh, Frontier forums. Yes. Uh, yeah, well, when this image came out, the comments on it made me, uh, I retract that statement. It was like a bunch of 13-year-old boys talking about, you know, someone's mum or something like that. It was pretty, pretty <laughs> horrific. Yeah, it was, it was not good. So I think, yeah, I think, you know, because we've talked a lot about the difference between Reddit and the forums. I think the difference is that the, the forums are almost universally negative, whereas Reddit has a kind of balanced discussion. But unfortunately, Reddit can still be just as misogynistic as the rest of the Internet. Yeah, well, it was just maybe it's just because it was all so concentrated in a small place. The only comments I agreed with were um, 
her outfit is quite nice. I like those those um, shoulder, well, what would you call them, decorations. That's quite. I thought it was quite cool. And cool. blue hair is cool. Yeah, I don't know if someone who's an expert can uh, can update me on this. Is this a this is a like a digital painting? This isn't a three D model, is it? I don't a piece know. of artwork that someone has painted. Well, that's the thing you don't know because it could be a three D model with a bit of post processing on it to soften it or something like that. Or they've okay. draw, drawn over a three D model. It's it's yeah so hard to tell. The, the silhouette outline that's in the beta is is pretty much the same shape as that that picture. So I'm. Uh, I'm guessing yeah. it's painting. That's what it looks like to me, yeah. but I'm not an expert on these things at all. Karash just popped up on the chat to say it looks like a paint-over model. So, there you yeah. go. Okay. Yeah. When we say that, we don't mean, like, a life model. Which is the thing. Someone just went and painted over. Yeah. No, it's interesting. Um, I mean, the, we had a bit of a debate on uh, the, the Skype chat the other day. Um, I think Alan was sort of saying that he would have quite liked it if Frontier had gone down the line of using photos of actual actors in costume rather than... Because even though this is, a, you know, this is a, a lovely picture and very kind of detailed, it's, it kind of looks cartoony because it's not it a, a picture of a yep. real person. And we were sort of debating. I don't. I don't have any feelings about it either way. There are there are pros and cons with using real actors as opposed to. I mean, the advantage of doing drawings is that you can make everything consistent. Whereas actually, sometimes with real actors, you end up with um, stuff a bit like. Was it? There was one of the Command and Conquer games, wasn't there? That the faction leaders were little video clips of actual people, and I seem to remember it being a bit uneven. Mm. Depends what they're thinking of doing in the future, really. I think because if yeah. with their artwork. If, if it's a drawing or a model, then you, obviously you can put them into any pose you like for whatever purpose you have. But are they going to look at bits of you know uh, video to to highlight things you know, with voiceovers and and a, and a little bit of character acting? I mean, I, I don't know where they're going to go with that. Are they are they thinking seems, that stuff? Yeah, I mean, it seems unlikely. I mean, you know, given that Frontier in the past have sort of shied away from things like voices in game you know reading out mission stuff and I, I can't see them wanting to get into producing that kind of content but having said that you know these npcs it's not it's not quite as expansive as the sort of procedurally generated mission system these are just 10 npcs and the stuff that comes from them will obviously be very limited so who knows maybe it would be worth them you know getting some actors in to do that I mean, I suppose in terms of like you know the production pipeline or whatever you want to call it, you know they need a three D model of her, you know, for in the future because I, I guess when people are walking around space stations, they may be able to go and visit her or something like that. So, you know, yeah, that's a good point. If they're forward thinking, they need a three D model. So, why not do it now and then do a paint over if it gives you the graphics that you need, and then you've kind of got something to use when the time comes. Mm. So the only th- the one thing I will say about her dress, although it's very pretty. Um, was that I, I think it's because of Drew I'm going to blame you um, after <laughs> reading Reclamation you know I, I had this whole kind of you know when I think of you know the Imperials and you know their what they wear you know I, I think of like ancient Rome and like really ordained dresses and, and robes or whatever and I don't know this didn't quite fit with how I imagined I guess but you know that's that's your book yeah I think I mean me. I don't I mean, there's two answers on that one. I mean, I don't think um, Frontier are using the books as kind of research material for what they're doing. I think it's obviously going to be far more the other way around. Um, and, you know, to, to kind of um, 
justify it in my head. Um, my my Imperials were way out on the frontier, um, and um, maybe they're maybe they're a little bit of country bumpkins compared to the kind of core worlds of Akanar and all that sort of stuff. So um, I think because the Empire is so big and there are so many planets, then there's probably an awful lot of variety in styles. But you know the ostentatiousness and all that kind of stuff is probably the the main thing that gets shared between all of them. That's how I'd rationalise it anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think I think her look does manage to cross a, a, a very good line between being kind of modern, but also being kind of old-fashioned and, and very ornate. I mean, you can imagine, if you look at that dress and you stick the Imperial Clipper next to it, they're clearly sort of it does drawn work. from the same, same aesthetic. Do um, Guatemala do dresses now, do they? they? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those those aren't just shoulder pads. Those are that's um, you know that's that's heavy armament. That is on our shoulders. Well, they're made they're made from the nacelles of old um, couriers. That's why there's <laughs> none about anymore. That's right. They've broken. That's why up. they're spinny. There we are. Yeah. <laughs> I reckon they're little portable shield generators. You know, so you can you can be defended against laser blasts and all that kind of good stuff. Oh, that's very Dune, isn't it? Yeah. No. Cool. Cool. Um, right, Diamondback. I suppose we better mention it. It's, it's now officially known as the Diamondback Scout. Um, I haven't actually flown it because I, I took, a look, took a look at the loadout and it didn't seem to gel with what I wanted to do. But you guys, some of you guys, have, have had a go on it. Anything to to report? I like it. It's a very meaty ship. I mean, as I say, because in the beta everything's a lot cheaper. I've been able to absolutely pimp it out with top-rated armor, top-rated shields, shield booster. Funnily enough, I haven't found the where my weapons choice hasn't been that much bigger than what I load into my Cobra. But just in terms of the amount of punishment that the Diamondback can take, I've been picking fights with anything and not really being particularly afraid of the outcome. But as I say, it's a little bit of a false thing because, of course, in my Cobra, I don't have the top. I don't have the top uh, <laughs> weapons or energy or shields or, or armor. Whereas obviously in this, I've been able to buy the best kit available for it. So it's a little bit of a false impression. But at the moment, you know, it feels like a very tough ship. As I say, I wasn't able to have a frameshift drive interdictor and a discovery scanner. I had to have either. I just, there just weren't enough slots for me to have everything unless I chose to have only one cargo bay. And as hopefully we're running out of time, but when we get on to power play, we'll obviously be stressing the importance of having a reasonable amount of cargo space. Um, so I haven't wanted to kind of give up cargo space in favour of. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's all, yeah, that's right. I mean, all these new ships are really, really good. Um, and I've been, yeah, with the beta, I've spent a lot of time not power playing, but just trying out the different ships because I never had the opportunity to do that before, just because you can, because they're cheap. But it's brought back to me, actually, because I've been tooling around in the Cobra that I started with just because I can. And that's what I have. But it's brought back to me the fact that the Cobra is, I still think, probably the best ship in the game because it can do a bit of everything. If you're a bit cash-limited or time-limited because you, you don't have much time to devote to the game, I still don't think there's a better ship in terms of being able to you know, get a balance of being able to do a bit of everything and, and have fun in the game. All the other ships force you down into you know, a way of doing something or become a little bit dull to fly because they don't handle very well. That's my opinion, but I still love the Cobra. I think it's, it's, it's such a well-balanced little ship. Well, that's one of the things that I liked about the, the fact they've put these in. They don't seem to have actually superseded any of the existing designs with the new ones. They, mm. It seems that each of these new ships have their place, and it's been planned in that. 
Okay, cool. Right. I suppose we better move on to the main discussion. Seems as we've got 25 minutes left. And the main discussion is power play. So this is where you guys get to talk excitedly about your experiences. I'm going to let you decide who goes first. Hmm. Well, let me start with a, a quick rundown of, of how power play works. Because, because we weren't able, really, on last week's show to talk about it. So for the benefit of people that don't have beta... If you, if you guys don't mind, I'll just give you a quick rundown. Basically, the game of Powerplay is about the main factions in the game, Federation, Empire, Alliance, some independents, having a region of the map that they control. And the way that control works is each faction has a base system that it operates from. There are other systems that they have control of. Now, each system that they have control of, within a radius they get income from surrounding systems. So it's a bit like if you've played Civilization, you know, you'll have like your the center of your city and around that you'll have a number of tiles that you're working for resources. And that's basically the way the way power play works. In terms of what players actually do, there are three missions that you can undertake to contribute to power play. There is there is preparation, expansion and the third one of well, I've forgotten the word. Yeah, it's fortifying. So basically, with fortifying, you take resources from your faction's central base and you go to a system you already have control of and you fortify it with resources. And that basically means that any opposing faction's attempt to undermine it is is basically kind of defended against. I'm, I'm not totally clear currently on the difference between preparation and exploitation. The way it seems to work is that in any one cycle... Uh, I'll explain cycles in a second. If you want to expand into a system, you have to prepare it first. And at the end of a cycle, the systems that are most prepared then become targets for expansion. And then in the following cycle, you can then do expansion missions to carry goods. But it's they're basically... I mean, guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but these are all basically trade runs. Nope. Um, no. Nope. There's a, no, you don't agree that they're trade runs? They're not all trade runs at all. There's combat missions. There's so many. I mean, I, I thought we'd uncovered, so I, I played it kind of fresh and did everything wrong, got really, really pissed off with the whole thing and thought, what's the point in this goddamn thing? Um, and, <laughs> and it was more a point in the case, I've got a hold full of this crap that I've got to deliver, and it was for winters, and that is a case of delivering pamphlets and propaganda it was like why am i playing this postman pat simulator why do i have to deliver <laughs> this crap why can't they just stick it in the post you know and it was driving me and i, and I kept going to stations and they're going no you can't give that here but that was the one other places the the sort of more trade-based ones the mining ones and some of the combat ones start off with a case of going and and sending propaganda to agents in these systems to kind of prepare them for being you know they like you. Other ones, there's combat ones where you have to go into that system and cause Mary Hill and take out X, Y, and Z different types. So there are combat missions all the way through. Um, and I cannot, wait a second, I'll just have a quick look and see because there's a particular. Yeah, isn't it Senator Petrinus? All his three different types of missions are all combat. Well, no, because I'm actually um, a Petraeus uh, fan. Yeah, the first one and... is finance for him. Is it? Yes. Right. So there's a bit of. Um, you know, fortifying places, you know, carrying, you know, military stuff around. But when it comes to, you know, taking over systems, it's combat. Um, and so I'm actually loving that particular faction because 
it's it's what I love doing really. So it, you get oh, to okay. go to these strike points, and then you go in, and you just got to basically take out loads of NPCs. You get some tokens for it, take them back, cash them in, uh, and that's how you get your merit. And I find that Petraeus is is kind of nice balance between you know going and delivering some armaments, and then going off and killing some people. And of course, we all love undermining other systems because you just get to go there and pick people out of super crews and uh, ruin their day. Although I think I found a bug. I think it's a bug that when you, for instance, with Petraeus, um, to undermine a system, you need to. You're in super crews. You need to pick off these aid ships. Um, and so, what we would, me and my brother, we were flying around taking out these aid ships. It was like taking candy from a baby. It was ridiculous. Um, but we saw some human players which were aligned with the same factor, faction. I think it was Winters we were we were taking down, um, and we thought, well, surely these players are, um, you know, they're aid ships in that they're taking propaganda everywhere. So we'll try and take some of them out, uh, which we did. Um, and then my, I think it was the person who got the final shot ended up getting a, a message from Senor Petraeus saying that he was most unhappy that we'd killed people of the same faction. Um, yeah. And that he he docked some merit, but of these players we checked, they weren't of the same faction. They were completely different. They were Federation and they were Winters. So I don't know if that's a bug or it's not a bug. It's not a bug. I mean, this the one thing that I'll say about power play is when you join a power and you want to cause problems for other powers, go to their screen because it will change what it says on it. It will tell you how to undermine them best. And yeah. one key issue is if you are both federal federal powers, so if you're both federation powers and you're taking out their ships, when you kill them, that's you taking out a federation and that's not on. So sometimes you'll find that what you've got to do is not destroy the ship, steal the cargo, return the cargo to your control points <coughs> and suddenly that gives you your, your reward. So there's some situations where killing the ship doesn't give you anything. And in fact, all it does is give you a huge bounty and cause you problems so sometimes you've got to be a bit more careful but the best thing to do is to go into the particular system that you're heading to and look at their power and go to their screen and it will tell you how to undermine if you click on their preparation tab it will tell you how to undermine their preparation if you go to their expansion it will tell you how to undermine that and it can be different for every other one obviously you get into a habit of thinking this is how you do it. You jump to the next system and you're taking on another power and you're doing the same thing and getting a totally different reaction. You're thinking, this is weird. Mm. So it is different. So I was with Winters. But you should, yeah, but you should be able to fire on and kill players of an opposing faction with impunity. Because what John's saying is quite right, because I went to try and see what it was like to do... Because for the purposes of Beta, I've joined the Federation, and I wanted to see what happened if I went and tried to undermine the other Federation power. And I found that I couldn't destroy the other Federation ships without getting a warning about basically losing merits for killing... Federation. What what they wanted me to do was basically effectively pirate those ships and get them to drop their cargo. And actually, I'm not. I mean, I wasn't kitted out for for piracy because I had no way of. I had no way of cracking their cargo hatch. Basically, I killed the ship before I did any damage to their cargo hatch because um, I'm I'm kitted out for murder really at the moment rather than piracy. But it's I think you know one of the things I like about it though is that the power play stuff. 
encourages rewards for the different styles of play. So if you want to pirate, you can now go and pirate for your faction. If you like doing trade runs, it's perhaps a bit frustrating because depending on your standing, you can only carry like 10 tons of this stuff at a time. So it's a bit of a long haul. Um, but it's, I think the thing that I would criticize most about it is that if you spot enemy ships in your faction space, the rewards for killing them aren't very great or very apparent. No, that's I mean, yeah, that's very true. It's kind of like back to the original bounty system, where it's like three or four hundred yeah. credits, and you're thinking, oh, is that I mean, it? Yeah, I mean, you are stopping them making progress. So if a group of you said, well, this system here we're trying to exp- expand into, we want to make sure that no one undermines us, you could patrol that system, and you could try and stop players from coming in and undermining. But there's no, there's no in-game reward for stopping them doing that. And when NPC enemy ships are in the system, you get very little for taking them out. Now, I know that Drew was asking about the exploited systems earlier on. Uh, exploited systems are those systems surrounding a control system. So control systems are like micro-bases. I don't know, how would you describe those? That's kind of the, the targets you make of these systems, and once you've controlled them, they then start leeching from the 15 light-year radius around them. So all the yeah. systems in that 15 light-year become exploited. And there's not much that other people can do to exploited systems other than go in there and run what you would call the interference, which would increase the <coughs> cost of that system to the power that owns it. Yeah, or you can expand your own faction into an exploited system, in which case you've then got a kind of struggle for who controls that area. You, you can make less profit. You can. No, no you can't. You can't. There's a problem. You can't yeah. go into uh, exploited systems. You can't do anything to them uh, other than undermine them and put them into revolt. And if you get them into revolt, <clears throat> then there's more effect that you can have. No, but the can't can't the players who are at ratings four and five, they can nominate which systems are going to be suitable for preparation in the next turn. Yes, but they can't pick one that's currently being exploited. That's can't in the, they? That's in the PDF manual. Um, uh, that is a, the, a nightmare to read. Oh, uh, because mm. in in-game help it says that if two systems both have claim to an exploited area, then then there's a conflict of who gets the profits from it. Yeah, but yeah. I think that means that they've both they've both got a control like a control system which is like and that one sits between them or something like that. Yeah, but that's a different you know, one. That doesn't, that, that, that doesn't not, make sense to me because you can expand into an opponent's territory, and if you can't nominate an exploited system, you would never be able to expand into opposing territory. Well, you would because what you would do is you would run interference and you'd cause that to create the negative CC so that they couldn't then hold that control point. What I don't understand is the control systems, are they predetermined? Because the selection you seem to get in the maps are, are, you know, like, how do you know, can you pick any particular system that's not got anybody in it for it? Or are there key systems that you should take? Because you could end up having, like, five control systems in a row, all within 15 light years of, of each other. Which is daft. Mm. So well, I think there's some to cleverness do, to be to be found. It's, You're it's right. To do, it's, it's to do with who nominates them, and then which, the votes as well. Because I think you do, yeah. depending on your rank. The only the, I, I played it for a while, and I honestly sat back and I thought this is a big pile of of, of absolute 
<laughs> this is like bringing a board game into Elite. This what, What's the point of doing this? It's absolutely ridiculous. So, I do tons of stuff this week, and then next week it counts for shit, and they forget who I am, and I lose my rank, and I go back down to being having to do it all again. Stuff this for a game of Soji's. What's in it for me? I must admit, I'll, I'll, I would second that. I mean, I, I played it for a while, and I've got, I've, got, I've got a number of reasons which I don't like it. I, I, th- I think it's clever. Um, I think it's a good addition to the game in a kind of you know, multiplayer kind of aspect. Uh, and I'm probably going to have to fall out with Mr. Stabler here because um, because um, Patrius or Patrius or whatever his name is has appropriated my my my, my system in the game in beta. <laughs> um, the, the prism the prism system was taken over very very quickly. Um, I did get uh, I did get a couple of uh, poor messages saying um, we deliberately did this just to wind you up so uh, there you go (laughs) you're welcome to it nothing I can do about it there you go Petraeus followers the trolls so yeah so that's right so um, yeah they've uh, they've uh, they've completely taken over the prisms and what what was quite good there is that the chap said he did feel a a, a significant pang of guilt because as he was flying in towards the space station in my system all all these people were coming out fleeing from the oppression so um, he, he did he said oh I've done that that makes you feel a bit guilty so there was some quite good, um, kind of, quite good content around it, but having played it for a few days, um, you know, over, over the last week, it, it just feels like a gigantic game of risk. And to me, it's that, that isn't what Elite is. No, you, you see, Drew, um, that's exactly um, where I, I was. Exactly where I was were. until yes, because I started thinking there's got to be more. There's got to be more of an effect to the controlled areas and the exploited areas that I'm seeing that makes this clever, that makes this worthwhile. Otherwise, it's a bolt-on game that nobody needs to play, in which case, why play it? So when you look at the ethics and the ethos of the various different factions, you will find that they have an effect on systems under their control, and those effects are going to be a benefit to everybody. So, for example, if you have a particularly strong imperial power that's taking over the imperial systems, you'll find that the slave cost is dropped, so you can make a better profit taking it from that system and going. So, as as a normal player, you can exploit what powers are doing, and that's where it becomes really more important to sort of pick where you trade, because if you go there, you might have to be a member of that power to get other benefits, because there's plenty of other benefits, like there's discounts, there's bonuses on, on trade, there's bonuses on bounties depending on what power you are a member of and that makes you have to pick what you want to play the game as and is there a power that can benefit you and make your gameplay more profitable but it is very difficult to see even in the beta as as I've played a bit of it to see whether or not as an unpowered player will someone in that system who's controlling that system that has some kind of ethos whether it does have a discount on slaves or whether or not it creates a black market there whether you have to be a member of that power to see that black market because I think if that's the case if you have to be a member of the power and you have to be a certain percentage of rank to be able to get these benefits that's not very good in relation to powers having an effect on the universe if those black markets are open to everybody well, then you can say, well, if those guys keep expanding and they happen to come into this system, in fact, if we can get into that system, that's my trade route, and that will really, really help me being able to get that stuff that's illegal at that station and sell it there. So I want them to go. I'm got a reason to help them expand in that direction. And equally, there'll be other people who've got a reason to block it. 
or to exploit yes. another end. And that's where the power play becomes interesting. Because I always look at these things aside from role playing and thinking about making your power the best power in the universe, which for some people is enough. But for me, that's kind of like the work involved in this is a hell of a yeah. lot for very, very little return. In fact, it's more out than it is in. So you've got to get, you know, you've got to be able to squeeze your benefits because not everybody can be in the top 50%. That just goes without saying. So how well, can yeah. people... This, yeah. this, this, brings me, this brings me to my main, my main criticism of it is that this is not... When you're working for a faction in power play, let, let me just, you know, I'll start by saying I really like power play. You know, I really like the thing that it is in terms of this business of shifting borders and, and changing, you know, changing the local laws in system like that. I like all of that. What I don't like about it as a player, working for a power, it's not the same as the military progression. You don't get paid for doing these jobs. You basically, you, you fund all these missions that you're doing for these different uh, powers. You're funding it. They don't pay you to run this stuff around or to target other ships or any of that sort of stuff. You're basically doing it out of the goodness of your heart. And I think that's wrong because I think that in a game that is driven by independent pilots trying to make a living, I think a huge area like this that has no financial reward for getting involved in it I think is counter to the ethos of the game. The, the other problem, which I, the other big problem I have with it, which is the thing you just mentioned there, I dislike the fact that the third level rating is based on whether or not you're in the top 50%. Because I think any scoring system which alienates half of your playbase... So, so basically, the way this works is, however much effort everybody makes, half of the players won't get to rating three or above. Okay, and I the reason I think that's bad, I think it's bad as a player because, you know, if you're time poor, this is another one of those things where mm. people who are able to play this game for 30 hours a week are going to get more out of it than people who are only able to play for five or six hours. I think, yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, I, 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 mean, I get to sorry, play. Sorry, 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 let me just finish. Because sorry, the, the problem is, is that then what will happen is those 50% of players who don't get anywhere will get fed up with power play and stop playing it. So that 50% that 50 will then leave. You'll then end up in a situation where another 50% won't manage to make it to rating three. And over time, you will gradually reduce the number of players who want to get involved in power play because they're constantly not in the top 50%. And I think it's, I think it's a failure of a way to design games. And I also don't like the fact that the, the faction-specific weapons or equipment that you can buy requires you to be in a rating which is like the top 50 percent i re i really don't think that rating three i i totally agree that the top level ones maybe should be for the top scoring players but i think the fact that under your own effort you can only get to rating two i think is a completely wrong design decision sorry drew carry on my original point was it, it didn't feel very elite and i think it'll qualify that a little bit um it's probably not my elite and and i'm yeah i'm an old school nutter from the original game and and nowadays i've only got maybe two or three hours a week to play on you know on a good week so my my play time is very limited so what i decide to get involved in and what i can actually influence is, is going to be very very different to many many other players i think without knowing what else is on the drawing board i find it quite hard to be objective about um power play because 
it, it does feel like a gigantic game of risk, and that to me is not what Elite is. Now, what I'd like to see is you know, what is on the drawing board for kind of you know, exploration and you know, heading out into the void and, and finding stuff. That to me is a little bit more about what kind of Elite potentially is and has the promise to be. I'd like to see content that is aimed at um, the more casual, dare I say it, more intellectual player. And, and power play isn't that. And, and you know, I, I don't want to dis power play because that's not what it is. And, and clearly it isn't. But without knowing what is also upcoming, I don't know whether to be kind of, oh, well, that's okay. That's not for me, but great. But there's other stuff coming. Or whether to go, hmm, is this a direction that Elite is now going in, which is kind of a little bit away from where I hoped it would go? And I don't really know the answer to that, so I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to waffle at this point. It's not what I would like to be seeing at this point. We, there's been criticism that Elite, is, Elite Dangerous is extremely wide in breadth and scope, but it's not very deep. There's a lot of content that could be added, you know, mysterious beacons or strange wrecks in the depths of space that the, the fun and excitement people had over those um, alien artifacts really got things abuzz and i really hope that stuff is coming but without knowing that it's coming or that frontier have kind of got it on the roadmap i'm i'm i find it quite hard to evaluate this i suppose i would just say yeah. that, sorry that, that for the new because the, the biggest mistake i made in powerplay was I jumped in and didn't look at any of the information, and I thought, all oh, right, you've got to take these to the expanding places to do this, blah, blah, blah. So jump to the map, right, that one's expanding, off I fly. What do you mean I can't give these in here? All right, so these are for places that we don't have covered right. Well, there's one that's outside, let's go there. What do you mean I can't hand these in here? And after spending the best part of an hour and a half flying a ridiculous amount of light years, um, that's when I realised that actually the power screens are really important to read and when you click on the expansion tab in, or the preparation tabs in your powers particular screen you get all the information you need there and you can target the systems from there and pull them up in the map without having to do too much searching so that's something i would give to advice to anybody who when they come in to go into powers is don't jump in you will hate it if you jump in Read your presume, power screen. Yeah, I, I presume, Grant, as well, you missed on the main galactic map. There's a tab you can pick that says, show me places I can take this cargo. Well, not quite. I'm paraphrasing. But there's a thing that says, show systems suitable for preparation and expansion. I and totally missed that. <laughs> Basically, there's a little thing that says, show systems that are suitable for preparation and expansion. And it highlights all the star systems where you can drop off that cargo. Yeah, right. it took me about two hours to find that, did <laughs> it's, it's not, yeah, it's yeah. not. Do uh, you not find, yeah. though, that it's it is, a, sorry, that it is it's a bit disjointed because you've got the Powers Galactic map and then you've got the Contacts Galactic page and then you've got other options. It is It has kind of fragmented the sensibility and the kind of togetherness of a lot of the menus that we've kind of got used to so it does take quite a bit to work out what page you go to to find out this and I think that's where people are going to get lost in it and maybe not just not bother with powers altogether mm. and the thing is as I say powers will affect your game 
even if you're not in them, because they're going to have an effect on the systems that they're controlling. I don't 100% can, can't say to you that that is definitely guaranteed if you're in the power or whether you're out the power as well. I would hope that those kind of effects, those kind of ethos effects would, have, would be there for everybody because then you've got something that you can exploit as a normal player who's not in a power. Well, I'm not in a power. I can take cheap slaves from there and take them to that place which has got a really good black market they're offering me a better price and I can significantly increase my profits on an otherwise loss making trade run and that's where I think the sandbox side of things could take off and power play will have an effect on everybody rather than the people that are prepared to put in the weekly cycle work just to maintain really a rank. Thing. And that's what I don't yeah, like, is the weekly rank. Because, you know, after a week, you go on holiday for two weeks, you come back and you're no longer that rank and you no longer enjoy those... But, well, mind you, if you're on holiday for two weeks, you won't care. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, Drew sort of mentioned about whether it's going in a direction that, that maybe he doesn't like. I think the thing that I feel about power play is because of the way people are going to need to work together to decide on which systems to expand into i mean this is very much as a solo player there isn't an awful lot you can do to really shape this you can contribute to expanding and defending and undermining and all those sorts of things the problem is that as, a, as an individual player your voice in which systems get expanded into is necessarily going to be lost but what i think that means in the long run is that with all these players who are who are sort of wanting elite to turn into a game that is largely run by clans and groups I think power play is going to be a thing that, for me, I, d I don't dislike power play as a gameplay function, but I think in terms of the way I play games, because I don't get involved in clans and groups, as a solo player, this is another thing that's going to make not being part of a group more of a problem. You know, it's the same reason I've given up on other online games. It's the same reason I gave up on LARPing. It's the fact that you cannot, as a single player, turn up and have as enjoyable ex an experience as someone that had puts in time with with a larger group. That would that would be my that would be a much better summary of what I was saying than um, than I that I said. <laughs> well done, Chris. <laughs> it's that single player piece. I mean, and we, we, I don't want to go over all ground, obviously, with, with stuff about solo and offline and all that kind of cobblers. But there hasn't been much for the occasional lone wolf player. Grant, complete take what you're saying about you know you can take advantage of the situation but you can't make an impact in the same way and, and maybe that's that's just tough but it would be nice to feel that there was something profound that you could be involved in as a as an occasional lone wolf or player i think i think they're not talking about that if you can successfully do missions for a minor faction you can help boost that minor faction until it becomes a power so the, the but again that's that really relies on multiple people working there. And I can see that in the IRC chat there's concerns about the fact that people are going to take on a power and sit and just nerf and attack anybody that happens to not be aligned just because they're not involved. I'm kind of pointing out that actually the one thing about powers is when you go into a system to undermine it and you're either taking out ships, you create such a huge bounty, you're never going to go back there. You're just not going to, to be safe to go back. Yeah, I have to say I found going into an enemy power's territory and undermining stuff, that's the most immersive experience I've had with, with power play. 
Uh, it's, it's the most fun I had. It was the most atmospheric. It was the most genuinely tense. Like I say, a lot of the other stuff where you're ferrying sort of, you know, for, for the power that I chose, ferrying propaganda and aid around did just feel like cargo missions where I could only take 10 units at a time. Well, no, you don't. Um, no, see, no, I can help you with that one because I was the same, only 10 units. That's a bit worthwhile. I've got you know, 140-odd cargo holds in the back. I could take tons of these and I can only take 10 every half mm. hour because of my rank. But if you then go back to the main screen again in your contacts page, you will see an option where you can buy your next quota for an extra yeah. amount of money. And it costs, yeah, what, 100000 for another 10 and then 100000 for another 10 but that's that's a lot to me. You're, you know, you're talking to a player that has 1.4 million in the bank, so paying a hundred thousand credits to unlock an extra half an hour's worth of gameplay. That's okay. that's a hundred that's a hundred thousand that it you know it will take me a while to earn back. Yeah, the whole time that you do it, you're working for these um, powers though. You're not really earning money as as Chris this, said earlier. So yeah, this is the problem. It is the power play is currently costing you money. And it also doesn't seem to, because my Federation rank, I've been doing power play all week, and my Federation rank is still unfriendly. It doesn't seem to have actually allied me to them any more, the fact that I've been working for them all week. Hmm. So, well, I mean, that could be bugs. I mean, that could be teething problems. Um, yes. Going back to what Drew said about a game of Risk, um, I actually like Risk, so for me it's a welcome addition. <laughs> I completely see the analogy, um, but I kind of enjoy it because it's an extra layer. I mean, as long as it's going to be optional for players, then I don't think it's too harmful. I mean, some people might argue that there could have been other features that they could have done first that would have appealed to more people, but I think a lot of people have given it a go and come out quite enjoying it. Like my brother, for instance, he's not a, I don't think he's a big Risk player. I didn't think he's not into board games, but he's actually loved doing what Chris says that doesn't motivate people, which is just doing it for the sake of getting reputation with the power. You know, people like that do exist. What, what I will say, though, is because we are we're sort of running out of time here, but um, one of the things I think they've built in very well into the basic design is it will be quite hard for one faction to completely expand and take over everything. Because as we mentioned in passing earlier, because of the expansion, the federal president has basically bankrupted his his resources available for, for control and expansion. And that's because a group of players went and kind of took over Lave and took over um, one of the ones next to it. I forget, I forget which one it is. But basically they, they expanded the federation into a system that was so far away it cost them so much money to maintain it that actually now that faction is losing. And I think there is almost a natural push and pull here within the borders of these power play factions. I think there is going to be a natural limit, maybe. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to not commit myself here, but I, I think actually the further you get away from that faction's control system, the less profitable it is to expand and the harder it is to fortify those systems. Well, and the more players that you need to do it. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think one of the effects of fortifying that system is that you reduce the costs of keeping it. So it just means that if you, you're going to have to have, hopefully, a control point very, very nearby where you can pick up whatever you need to fortify. No, no, no. No, because to fortify, you always have to go back to the base. Oh, oh yes, that's right. Yeah, you've got to go and get them from yeah. the centre. Yeah, you can only pick up fortification from the centre of your, your faction's power. So the further mm. you expand, the longer you make that run 
to go and fortify the system, which is why, you know, someone was saying earlier, how do we stop um, Lave being exploited by Dent and Petraeus? I think that system is, is too far from the Federation base, and I think ultimately if someone else wanted to take it over, I don't think it'd be difficult. What would be interesting to know is that whether or not you can free these systems from power play completely. And stop I'd like to know that. Because there doesn't seem to be a way of just switching it off. Well, I think that's just when it revolts, is it not? It can then fall out and it just it requires that control system to be uncontested at that point so there's no other powers moving in. Then if they can't, con- you know, if they can't keep the upkeep of that system, it's just going to fall out of power. So I think well, we, have, know, we haven't seen that yet, have we? Um, not as yet, no. no. In fact, at the moment, it's just kind of too easy to get in, and because we're in a, such a small user base uh, in comparison to the game, that's what's going to be really interesting. Because we're looking and at also, yeah. Also, the other thing is the, the the turnover cycles for beta are only two days, it's whereas in life it's, it's going to be a week. Yeah, I don't so. like that. I don't like that. I don't like the fact that it's you know after a week you go straight back to stage zero. But I understand that that's what makes it possible for different people to get those different ranks and it all comes down to whether or not you've got an hour to play that day or 17 hours to go and do these mindless runs back and forward doing whatever your postman pack simulator or 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 pirating i mean i i I know exactly what you mean because we had four of us in a wing doing a sort of upheaval and we were in a situation where we we thought we had to collect their cargo but we didn't we just had to destroy them which made it a lot easier and we racked up all these token points to then take back and transfer into power points uh, and it was great fun as a wing and ironically where the wing works you get 15 power play points for taking out the target in that particular system that we were in so if I shot that ship once and all the wings shot that once, all of us got 15. It didn't split it up. They gave everybody 15. So then you could just take out the anaconda, you got 15. And take out the next ship, you got 15. So after a while, you've got massive amounts of these power play points. You then head back to a control system and you cash them in for merits. And that really does help your ranking. And it's almost easier than delivering propaganda or doing some of the preparation work in order to expand your power but of course that's the problem if you focus your efforts all in that one area of undermining the, the surrounding systems that's brilliant but your system you know your power is going to slowly bleed from the inside and not have the new money coming in and that's that's where the balance is going to be and when you get suddenly what five half a million players suddenly doing these powers, that's when it's going to get really interesting to see how people organise their power. Totally. But actually, obviously, one of the things, because of this bankruptcy, we have discovered that the best way to undermine an enemy power and get personal boost boost in the meantime is ally yourself with someone you don't want to win and undermine them by expanding into... Unprofitable, unprofitable areas. Places. <laughs> that seems to be that seems to me to be a perfectly valid strategy. We'll have to see when this goes live whether or not that's something people do. Defection? Yep. Has anyone defected? It's the f- somebody, yeah. it's I heard the somebody on funniest, the chat. Funniest, yeah, funniest thing ever. Because when you defect, you're given a well. And currently in in the beta, you're given a 24 hours that they'll come hunting for you, or that you're going to get it. And what happens is you're just out doing your own thing, haven't got a clue what's going on, and then comes a contact. And it was one of the guys we were playing with, and he's like, going, "Oh, that's from the faction that I used." To- oh crap! 
they're here for me. <laughs> they just go hell <laughs> for leather. So you then, you know, they, they've obviously made a mistake coming in for that one target to catch their defector when he happens to be in a wing of three anacondas. And it is, it's brilliant and it keeps happening. They keep getting tripped by these every so often and another wee ship would appear and have a go at them out the blue. And it really does make it a bit dangerous for defection because if you happen to be in the middle of a big battle that you've taken on as your new power and then suddenly in comes the old power, they can catch you unawares and really, really give you a hard time. But there's something really funny about it. Like, oh, oh, there you are. We've been looking for you. We've got a little word to have you. You say hello to my little friend. I love it. I love the fiction. <laughs> cool. Right, so I'm going to have to wrap it up, guys. We've run over, unfortunately. And that also means that people who've been kind enough to send us some questions, we're going to have to save those. But I'll just quickly do some shout-outs to people who've taken the time to come and say hello outside Lave Station. His Dudeness, Icefire, Tarstone, Porter, Goose4291, Dissington, Gimme, Sutherland Lane. Ah, Commander J. Whitehouse. Greetings. Uh, Kevin P. Lane, Mindwipe, and Inigo. Um, and in the chat... Hello to Penguin, Arkin. Oh, this this is where I start screwing up people's names. Arkin Baust, as how it said. Commander Bapster, Commander Payne, Commander Riphead, Erasmus Boone, Fiver, Grand Solo, Hop, I Name, Jintosh, Kipple, Mark Dis, uh, uh, Nilzen, Tubby Ventura, and Zenowick. So thank you very much for joining us tonight, guys. Oh. Quick reminder, LaveCon 2015 is fast approaching. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm well excited for this now. It's on the 11th and 12th of July at Sedbrook Hall Hotel in Northamptonshire. If you haven't got your tickets yet, I can tell you that you're not going to get a hotel room there because it looks like all the rooms are sold, but there's still tickets available if you want to come along in the day. There's loads of stuff going on. Check out the Lay Radio website for more details. So that's it for another episode. If you would like to get in touch with the show, email us, info at laveradio.com. Find us on Facebook, search for Lay Radio, at Lay Radio on Twitter, or you can join the Skype chat channel by adding Fozzer101 to your Skype contacts. We also have a TeamSpeak server where commanders come to hang out and chat. The server is laveradio.teamspeak3.com. Thanks to Colin. Thanks to Chris. Thanks to Grant. Thanks to Drew. Okay, mm-hmm. thanks, guys. Thanks so much for joining us. It's been uh, a great evening. And uh, until next time, fly safe. And if you can't do that, fly dangerous.
Ah, oh, damn it. No worries, guys. Hold the fort for two seconds. I'll be right back.